in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. The Watching Comics Podcast is still thing. It's still a thing. It's still here. It's still entering your ears in a totally appropriate way. Hello, we are back. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Mitch? You know what? Not too bad. I mean, the good news is the Red Sox are up two games in the World Series, and that means all is right in my world. Uh, the reason we are actually coming at you with this episode when we are in the week is because we are recording this on the off night for the World Series. <laughs> Jake and I were texting earlier this week, coming up with plans for the next month, what we wanted to talk about, record on, and when we're going to do things. And I was like, oh, junk. I, I really don't want to do it on a night where there's a game. <laughs> is there any, any, any chance at all we could do it on Thursday night just so it doesn't interfere with the Sox dominating the Dodgers? And it worked out. Well, yeah, and in in 2014 and 15, the planets aligned and the Royals went to -to back-to-back World Series, and uh, I'm sympathetic to this problem, and I'm also going to live vicariously because I know that it's not coming our way again for a few more years. So uh, (laughs) You're getting yosted. Yeah, you know, man, one day the sports podcast will happen, and then we'll uh, I'll break all that down for you because I got opinions, people, but uh, <laughs> I got some strong opinions about what went wrong after 2015. But for now, you can jump aboard the soft bandwagon of Red Sox Nation. I'll welcome you gladly, and you can celebrate with our eventual win. Yeah, well, and again, it's not a sports podcast. I keep starting to get into guys. There could be like, we could like finish this and then start the next podcast. Like, all right, well, that was our sports. Now let's jump onto politics. And so like, we could totally just keep, I'm pretty sure you and I could just do like our own podcast network of just Jake and Mitch on the following. Yeah, we pretty much could. And I tell you what, I don't know if any of our takes would be correct, but they certainly (laughs) would. They would certainly be takes. (laughs) I mean, and that's really all we have to do, right? I mean, there's no fact checking on the internet, so. So yeah, right. Fake news. Okay. (laughs) So speaking of, I'm going to be that guy and I'm going to say, speaking of the Royals and being disappointing and making early exits, what are we going to talk about tonight, Jake? Tonight we're talking about some other early exits, specifically, uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist have left the building on Netflix, and yeah, the the axe has been dropped like full force, man. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, and, and so that's kind of our topic tonight. We're gonna we're gonna do kind of a, a broad swipe at Netflix and just uh, sort of a survey of what's going on there and where it might be headed, and then kind of dive into uh, upcoming episodes. We're gonna review some Daredevil, which is pretty exciting, and so. I guess I'd open with, you know, let's talk about those cancellations. That's we don't often get to be super topical here. We don't get to do a ton of like news updates or commenting on news more. It's reviews and things like that. But once in a while we get lucky. So Mitch, did you see this coming in any way? Luke Cage and Iron Fist getting the ax? Yeah. <clears throat> it's really interesting. Um, I, I, too, am, I was, I, I was thinking about, do we want to talk about this? Like, you know, during our production meetings this week, as we've been texting back and forth and during breaks at, at our jobs, um, <laughs> I was debating on if I wanted to bring this up or not, because at one, at one point, part of me wants to say like, of course, Iron Fist got canceled. Didn't you watch it? <laughs> um, 
But the other part of me wants to be all like, so if, if it's not surprising, then why do we even want to talk about it? But at the same time, this does kind of, you can't talk about this without talking about the coming uh, giant in the arena known as Disney. And yes. I feel like that, that might be pertinent. But anyway, to answer your question, um, no, I didn't see it coming, but I also wasn't surprised by Iron Fist. Um, typically, they don't pull the trigger this quickly after a show airs uh like a second or third season like usually if they pull a trigger quickly it's like a show gets launched for the first time you know like gypsy or girl boss or something like that in the last couple of years and it just doesn't perform well and a month later they say they're not going to renew it but iron fist was part of this this package deal of marvel comic books which is clearly a big deal that's why we're here and that's really all that matters <laughs> and it's part of the defenders. It's attached to daredevil. It's attached to Jessica Jones, you know, like all these things. So I, I was really surprised at how quickly they threw the gauntlet down on it. Given all those circumstances, Luke cage was definitely a bigger surprise just because, um, it's clearly better than iron fist by leaps and bounds. Um, so it may not necessarily be a quality thing and maybe I guess we can get into that, but were, were you surprised by that? Um, yes and no. I, I think I'm pretty similar to you. I think that with Iron Fist, season two um, really does feel like a step forward, although maybe not as significant a one as we'd all hoped. And it, it certainly leaves the door open for season three. Uh, and Luke Cage was really surprising to me. The lost season three that will that will never happen, right? And then there'll be a whole, then there'll be a really small fraction of people on Twitter that aren't really big in number, but they will be loud and incessant, and they will say, "Release season three. Oh, and you know, but okay. So, can I be honest with you for a second? Yeah. Full disclosure: Can we go into the trust tree with the forest and um, be calm and? know that what we say won't leave this podcast or the internet or the thousands of people that will be listening to it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's a, uh, let's do that. Okay. So full disclosure, I did not see iron fist season two. Um, season, full disclosure. Season... I did not see all of it. I saw enough to at least make offhanded comments. Like, so I'm not, you know, I'm not comfortable giving it like a review. Like this was good, bad, whatever. I saw enough to at least feel that I could discuss its existence. <laughs> Okay, so here's here's what I think, and I would like to, for you to give me some feedback. I watched season one and was horribly disappointed, and we, we've kind of hashed that out on previous episodes before, so we don't need to do a deep dive. But yeah. I don't think you and I are the only ones that say Iron Fist season one left a lot to be desired. So – I wasn't that interested in season two, and I'll be completely honest. I was actually going – I don't do this very often. I was actually going to wait and see what some of the response was to season two and see if it was going to pique my interest enough to get me to jump back in. Because I was like, man, fool me once, fine. But fool me twice, mm, I just don't know. And I don't want to be too hard on it. It just – they clearly lacked a cohesive vision for the show and didn't tap into the strongest points of the storylines that they had access to. So season two, stuff started to trickle in. I, it looked like that they were trying to get better to a to a more cohesive form to what the best of Iron Fist could be about. But everything I read left me with this feeling of like, OK, season two is much closer to what season one should have been like 
but because it still felt like it should have been season one ish as far as like progress and concept is concerned it still didn't feel like a big enough leap to call it a good show yeah and and here's the thing is especially for those of us that are in the stage of life that you and i are in where like i was just commenting commenting to my wife right before we started recording like I feel good. I don't feel run down by these things, but I also feel like I have not stopped doing things for about the last 72 hours between my full-time job, doing things for my kids, taking care of the house, you know, getting recording the podcast. Uh, you know, when we're done here, I'm going to go do some more work. Uh, I just turned in some homework and all that I say to say, there are so many things I would love to be able to just watch for the sake of watching but the reality is that I have to have a line that a lot of entertainment things fall beneath. And I've talked about that line before. And, and I think that's really where I was at with season two is it's not necessarily that I reject the idea of it out of hand. It's not like season one. And, and I, I was I don't know that I'd say. man, I, I think a lot of my problem with season one comes down to what it could have been, you know, my expectations for it versus what it was in execution. And I don't think that that was so bad that I was just, no, there's no way I'm watching season two. But the reality is that it, it was disappointing enough that with the other five or six things on my list to get to, because also I really like to read, you know, God forbid I should open a book once in a while. Um, what? <laughs> right. What? <laughs> and yeah. And so with all those things, I just didn't feel like season one of Iron Fist did enough to justify its presence above the line. And so, and, and maybe that's unfair of me, and and maybe that makes me part of the problem. Maybe it could have become something brilliant in season three, and I contributed to not getting that. I don't know, but yeah, that's kind of where I was with it. It, it was so, like I said, I, I popped in here and there. I watched enough to be able to say, yeah, I felt this when I saw this, and I kind of know where it went with the story. I know where it ended, but um, yeah, I, I just didn't feel like it did enough to justify its presence on the list. This is what I heard. I heard is that Jake isn't the right kind of nerd. He's a book nerd, <laughs> and his love of books took away the time that was precious for watching Iron Fist, and now Iron Fist got canceled because the algorithm didn't get your numbers. Well, you're going to hate me even more when you find out that I mostly read things I've already read before. So, yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> Okay, so may, maybe that is actually a testament to Iron Fist, where it was so uh, ungripping and uncaptivating, if those words are even words, that you decided to turn it off and go and reread something. <laughs> you know, it, the, I, I've said this before, and I just want to put it out into the cosmos in hopes that it one day occurs on screen – there's this brilliant run from like 10 years ago on Iron Fist that it was such the it was the easiest one to make a TV show out of out of all of these projects. All you had to do was take it's a martial arts tournament between these different mystical cities and everyone has their own version of the Iron Fist. And there's a conspiracy going on in the background. And there you go. And it would have been so easy to put that on screen. It's written so cinematically and I don't know why we didn't get it, Mitch. And I'm so disappointed. And I think that's what it all comes back to is there's just so little kung fu in that kung fu show. Right. Like it's when 
that's the thing I just can't get past. And it seems overly simplistic, but it's like, okay, it's, it's a world. It's a character that hinges on the Kung Fu lore. (laughs) You watch, then you watch the show and you're like, wait, so where's, where's the Kung Fu? (laughs) That one episode in the middle. Fist with the heavy side of Kung Fu. (laughs) And it, it just, that it could be messed up is so baffling to me because it was such a simple order to do it right. So that yeah, I just had to say that while we're on it. Yeah. Okay. So let's pivot to Luke Cage. I feel like that one was easily the most. Yeah, that's really what two, we should be right? talking about. That's where the shocker was. Because okay, so our, fan, our listeners. If you need a quick review, we talked a great deal when we reviewed Luke Cage season two, our final bit on that. We talked a great deal about what it was going to look like going forward, because um, obviously throughout the season, I particularly was worried that they were going to um, bleed the Mariah Dillard story dry and that they were going to try to do what they do with Loki and the Marvel movies and just string it out far too long. And then as we went along in the season, I was like, man, it feels like something final has to happen with her in order for the show to both have like good key gripping moments, but then also be refreshed enough to move forward into something else. And we got it. And I was so pleasantly surprised. And I don't want to, and I don't want to down talk Alfrey Woodard's performance. Her performance was absolutely incredible. And maybe the second best performance of the entire run of the show behind Mahershala Ali. She was just phenomenal, but there's only so much real estate you can write for that character. And that's not her fault. So they used her up. Her runway was done. I thought they ended it up as profoundly and sinisterly as they could. Um, But they clearly were ramping up for a third season though, too, with some of the decisions that they made. So Jake, give me some feedback. Where are you at with this? Well, I, I mean, and I said on this show that I felt like season two of Luke Cage was not as strong as season one, but I, I also thought that there was a lot to like there. And, and this is, you know, this is the interesting thing about Netflix is because we don't get to see a lot of numbers on who's watching what or what that's translating to as far as money. So it's not as cut and dry as when a network cancels something and we can say, oh, yeah, because viewership dipped at this point. We knew this was coming. Um, but pretty I, much the only litmus we have is Twitter. It's like if it seems to be yeah. lighting Twitter on fire, then you know a lot of people are watching it. And that's the thing is that like. You know, uh, Iron Fist season two kind of landed with a muffled thud, but Luke Cage really dominated the internet when it was in season two. And I, I think there's two possibilities here. And this is this is pure speculation. Uh, Marvel's not returning my calls, nor is Netflix. So um, they're in the they're in the middle of a few projects that are coming up. I don't know if you've been aware, but you know, Infinity War has got another yeah, one coming well, out. Like they're they're busy, but. I, I would love to hear conspiracy theory Jake come out and yeah. Play well, here, I mean, so. you know, if nothing else, I'm sure there's a cease and desist letter coming from them. But um, <laughs> the, my, th- I think there's two possibilities here. <laughs> it is possible. I'm gonna the the less likely and less exciting one is to me that Netflix and Marvel are kind of trying to create some space from one another as Disney is about to launch its own streaming service. Uh, and they've been really, you know, the, Disney's starting to tell us what some of these projects are going to be that are going to, the exclusive shows that are going to be on it. Um, at least as far as Marvel goes, they're starting to kind of unveil some things. 
it, it would make sense to me, I suppose, for Marvel Studios in, to say we're going to take more of a hand in these two, what we felt were the two weaker of those, and try and breathe some new life into them. Or maybe they're just saying we, we're trying to close up shop, and maybe – Maybe there were some back deals, about some behind-the-scenes things going on about, you know, all right, cut these two. You need to start wrapping up Jessica Jones. Because I'm, I'm reading that Jessica Jones is probably in doubt beyond season three because the showrunner is not going to be involved anymore. Um, and, and so maybe they're starting to close up shop is all. And they're just saying this Netflix thing was great. Now we're doing our own thing. You know, thank you for your time. We're moving on. The other more exciting possibility, I think, is that you really saw Luke Cage and Danny Rand start to interact a little bit across those shows. And I think even the most vocal critics of the Danny Rand character kind of seemed to come around and say, you know, when you pair him with Luke, he gets a little more interesting. He gets a little more tolerable. He's fascinating. And it was fun for me. I really enjoyed seeing Luke fall into that big brother role that you see. And so I say all that to say it is possible that these two characters are being retired from their solo shows so that we can get a Heroes for Hire show that's going to feature both of them. And I think that would be possibly a whole lot of fun. Yeah, that's clearly the more appealing option. Obviously, yeah. like you you want to see them if your choices are nothing or a <laughs> or a better version of what we had then clearly the better version of what we had is always going to be better heroes for hire has um been getting a lot of steam on the internet as far as people uh, just chatter you know like people saying this is what we want to see it'd be really great if they made an announcement about this those sorts of things like heroes for hire is definitely getting a lot of mentioning, but nothing from the rumor mill. You know, I think it's just fans saying, man, I would love to see this at some point. And this seems like a natural starting, you know, like pivoting point to, to go that direction. But we really don't have anything to go on. And that's just what makes this decision so eerie, other than the streaming factor like you talked about. Now, Disney's coming and Apple's coming as well, too, by the way. Apple's supposed to be finally oh, unveiling yeah. their, their TV stuff <clears throat> early to mid of next year. The TV stuff that they've been spending hundreds of millions of dollars on for the last few years, and we haven't seen anything yet. So that'll be interesting. But Disney's coming, and with it, all of their existing IP and all the Fox IP. And at least initially, until the big convergence happens, like we talked about a few weeks back, um, it's it's going to be... It's going to be a monster that demands to be played within the arena. It needs to be addressed. It will not be ignored. Now, what I'm interested in is, is Disney sparking Marvel to draw the line in the sand simply out of territorial um, credence? Or does Disney legitimately want to do something with the IP of Luke Cage and Iron Fist? Because I have a hard time believing... Like, okay, Iron Fist didn't perform well, and Luke Cage was good, really entertaining, but it's not as good as Jessica Jones or Daredevil. So 
I have a hard time believing Disney actually wants to reboot those or do something with them. Like, do you, do you think the heroes for hire would come, but it's coming from the Disney side? Or do you think that we're just done seeing these characters for an undisclosed amount of time because Disney just wanted to silence the Marvel voices in the Netflix camp? So that, yeah. And that's really the question. So where I've kind of, I I was really unable to find any details on what the contracts look like. Um, as far as who, cause I, I didn't, you know, and I, I would assume, I would assume with the MCU being what it is these days that, you know, Marvel is locking up those contracts pretty tight on film rights and things like that, given how hard that, you know, how much money they're spending to get the X-Men back right now. Um, but, but at the same time, so, so I would venture to guess that Marvel controls those characters, Beyond maybe some, you know, just some rights that Netflix has to do certain things with the shows or finish it out. All that, all that aside, um, I think that's really interesting to ask because it would, doesn't it feel like something they do to do that? The only reason I think there might be a good chance that there really is going to be a Heroes for Hire series is because of the way that the press releases have been handled where they have indicated so strongly that the characters are not gone just the shows and they've been so sly about it and there hasn't been any kind of an announcement that says or any kind of an explanation given that says you know the show just didn't meet our standards blah 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 and because they've been pretty strong i mean you can look at the inhumans as Marvel didn't really pull any punches. They weren't rude to it, but they also were just like, eh, this is not what we were hoping. We're done. And um, the fact that there's none of that really going on, it makes me wonder, there's got to be a plan, right? As far as the destination for it, I really, I don't know that I know. I wish I had an informed yeah. guess, but I don't know. It's I mean, total mystery. Netflix already t- tipped its hand at the Defender series, and I don't think that they would just like want to reboot that or retool that, especially yeah. here in, in, in recent years. Like, I don't think they would want to do that so quickly. And you don't want to just do a season two add on to that because then that alludes to the other service that you don't want to be attached to. So I think if the characters aren't gone, Heroes for Hire seems like the logical starting point for Disney where you're taking something that's familiar, but you are completely retooling it into its own thing. It's repackaged and it's become its own nuclear storyline. One that people are familiar with one that people will get excited about, but you don't necessarily have to recast or do any weird world building or uh, say like, okay, we'll take these pieces from the previous installments, but not these pieces, you know, and, and get all that confusing stuff. It just all that to say, Heroes for Hire, launched by Disney, seems like the most logical way for these characters to maintain their presence in the public eye as far as television is concerned. And I guess for me, what's uh, I agree with that 100%. I guess for me, what's confusing about that hypothetical scenario is why wouldn't Disney want to take their other projects too? But because and maybe they're going to and we just aren't seeing the signs of that yet. But, you know, you've got there's another Punisher season coming, um, which no one asked for. <laughs> I, I'm on the record on my feelings about Frank Castle. Um, 
And there, there's the other Punisher season coming. They, there's no word on if Daredevil's going to get a fourth season or not. Jessica Jones is in question, but that seems to be more about, you know, the creative crew moving on or not. Um, and, and I just wonder, are they going to take the whole project with them? Are they just thinking these are two that could use a reboot, so we'll take them and do it? Is there some sort of a deal going on with Netflix? I really don't know. And so to me, it's the business end of it that's so muddled and so confusing from my little perspective that it, it, that's the tricky one for me is understanding the business end. I couldn't agree more. Like that, And what makes it so fascinating is because of what's happened here recently <clears> – <throat> It seems logical that we would just say, yeah, it's a package deal. It's Marvel. It's the Defenders characters. It's their respective shows and the team-up joint, right? But the fact that they're splitting this up, like part of me wants to speculate. And again, I highlight the word speculate. Like, <laughs> underline that, please. Part of me wants to speculate if um, popularity and viewership numbers are are dictating some of the decisions or the order of which some of these things come through because whether whether Punisher season 1 was good or not Punisher dominated the internet when it came out for both good and bad reasons and it it it's pretty safe to assume that it received just as good of numbers if not better numbers than Luke Cage and definitely better numbers than Iron Fist Jessica Jones is really really popular in a lot of circles on the internet and in a lot of areas of entertainment that aren't even necessarily plugged into the comic book network just because of its feminist movement. It's leaning into that, that woman power empowerment bit, which I absolutely love the female creative team and writers and directors behind it. And the film noir aspect of it, Jessica Jones really does have quite a large following in, in both the comic book circles and outside of it. And daredevil is just absolutely huge. It is a behemoth, magnanimous achievement uh, for Netflix. And it is among, I mean, most, when you read up on it, most things would suggest that Daredevil is among some of the most successful stuff that Netflix has put together. So, I, again, like you said, I don't know anything about the business side of things, and we definitely don't get to peek at the algorithm numbers or the uh, contracts or anything like that. But part of me wants to say, like, it's worth speculating on maybe maybe Marvel's price is a little – or maybe Netflix's price on a couple of those installments are a little bit higher uh, than the others. Or maybe there's some sort of contract loopholes or they're just fighting harder to hold on to something or maybe not necessarily fighting harder. Maybe that's the wrong way to say it because I feel like if there was a struggle, it probably be reported on more but maybe it's one of those things where they say okay you can have like disney you can take back iron fist and luke cage right now we can kind of be done with those but maybe they're not ready to finish luke cage and daredevil just yet and they have a little bit of leeway there because they are so much more popular in comparison does that make sense at all it does and it makes me wonder you know you mentioned there and this just sparked in my brain when you said it you talked about if there was a fight there would be more reporting going on on it and i have to wonder whatever is happening what whatever the master plan is here even if that master plan is just yeah we didn't need these shows we got rid of them even if it's there's no deeper thing happening and we are reading into something that was never meant to be read into does it feel like there has to be some level of 
friendly collaboration between Disney and Netflix for it to be as under wraps as it is. Like there has to be some kind of an agreement has been reached, I feel like, between the two sides if there is in fact both sides involved you know if if disney's truly involved in this on some level if it's not just netflix saying yeah we were done with this show then there would have to be some sort of collaboration i feel like yeah because like you said they they left iron fist season 2 open up for a season 3 luke cage definitely felt opened up for a season 3 um if netflix knew this was coming down down the avenue part of me wants to say they would have let the showrunners know that and they would have written things differently to have a little Mm -hmm. bit more of a sense of finality or maybe i'm just a little bit too pie in the sky or maybe my timelines are just way off and this happened long after the writers rooms were done finishing you know the respective stories that they were about to film but like you know in a perfect world in my head, it tells me it's like, okay, they know Disney's coming. They probably have been talking about this for more than just a month before the deal was actually done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. Part part of me wants to think that the showrunners themselves would have probably wanted to program things a little bit differently. But I don't know. I, again, I don't have anything to go off of for that. That's just pure speculation other than both of these shows felt like they were still relatively open-ended. But they're clearly done they weren't renewed i don't think it probably cost netflix very much money if any money to just release these entities so yeah i don't know you know maybe as we sit here and talk i feel like i've almost convinced myself that there really is no deeper thing going on because there are so many conflicting signs for what the deeper thing would be and or or chemtrails are impacting my brain and there's fluoride in my water. I don't know, but I, I just can't. Or maybe all all those things can be true. You were slowly, (laughs) you were slowly decomposing by the one thing you thought that was going to give you life. And also Netflix and Disney are not in cahoots. (laughs) I I feel like that could be, you know, a really solid statement at my funeral. Maybe you can give the eulogy. Well, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. (laughs) I'm there for you. So, I mean, I don't know. Is there anything more we need to hash out there? I, I just feel like it's there's so much interest around it. It's so fascinating, and there's just no way to know, you know? No, there's really not. Um, but we do know that Disney's coming, and two-fifths of the Marvel um, series are are done on yeah. Netflix. That's, that's what we know. But I am looking forward to – we're kind of a week behind, almost a week behind – but um, I'm super looking forward to Daredevil. And actually what we're going to do is the next two episodes after this, we're going to break down Daredevil season three. And I'm really excited about it. It's been getting absolutely incredible reviews and write-ups, which is good. Season two wasn't bad, but it, it, it wasn't like, okay, so if season one was like darn near perfect, season two was like a B plus or an A minus. But everything I've been seeing is saying that bringing back Kingpin – and Vincent D'Onofrio and the tone and some of the big swings that they took with this third season really harken back to what made us love it even more. So I'm super stoked about it. Jake, give me some initial thoughts. I love me some D'Onofrio. I am so excited to have him back. And you know, season two was good. I, I did not 
dislike season two. I, I even really, as much as I dislike the Punisher, I even really enjoyed John Bernthal's interpretation. I enjoyed um, the way that they adapted his origin story there. Um, and, and I thought that it was a really good season. I think I preferred season one is all. And part of that is because that episode in the middle of season two with the Kingpin in it is so exciting for me and so much the best part of the season that, yeah, it's just season three. He's back. He's a big focus and we're bringing in bullseye. And that's exciting for me because from what it looks like, they're bringing in bullseye and they're going to flesh the character out a little bit and really make him live up to some of the hype that he gets. And that's exciting for me too. I think it's what I love about daredevil is they seem to, cause I daredevil and Jessica Jones to me are just leaps and bounds the best of this bunch. But Jessica oh, Jones yeah. is almost Jessica Jones is almost that concept of it's film noir with a dash of comic book fantasy. And Daredevil, at least with this television installment, Daredevil has become like, okay, how do you take one of the most well-known characters in all of Marvel Comics who has got this bright, flashy costume and has just really – when you look at some of his most famous runs in the actual books, he just screams stereotypical spandex superhero – and what they've done a masterful job of is something that I normally would say is really difficult to do, which is make it gritty and much more humanistic while still capturing the essence of the characters that we know and love so well. And it's like Daredevil is like the unicorn of being able to do everything that Zack Snyder tried to do for half of a decade with DC. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's it's just this perfect amalgamation of taking something that's familiar but but putting it in a world that is dark and gritty but not campy and realistic but also not realistic in the most appropriate way at the same time and i say that to say i'm excited to see what that looks like for bullseye in this world because bullseye is just both really cool but also just a little zany and a yes. little off the wall and it's going to be fascinating to see him slip into this world. But Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk is just an incredibly rich and darkly complex foundation for this season to rest on. And I'm hoping that he's able to kind of just carry the season on his shoulders because Charlie Cox is a great Mac Murdoch. The supporting cast is great. The action sequences are phenomenal. Some of the best on mainstream TV you're going to find, but there's just something about him being the true North as far as how the story orbits and the performance magnetism. You know what I mean? I'm I'm looking right now at a picture of him in the white kingpin suit, the uh, the one that you always see him in in the comics, and it's just I mean like it's goosebumps for me because it's it is everything about that performance down to just the way that he holds himself, down to the way that he moves across the screen. Just I have rarely, if ever, seen a character just so embodied. And, and and to the point where, you know, and, and I've said this about a few things that to me, the, the point where an actor owns a character is when I start hearing their voice and their interpretation in my head when I read the comics, you know, and it's that way for Mark Hamill's Joker, um, most of Batman, the animated series. 
as, and it's, it, as it should be. Yeah, and, and it's Ham- Hamill's Joker should be the voice in your head, as creepy as that sounds. It, no, it absolutely is. Every time I read a Batman comic with Joker, in it, and, but it's it, it, D'Onofrio has become that for me with the Kingpin. That when the Kingpin is in a comic book now, in my head, I am hearing that interpretation and that take, and, and that to me is just the highest praise I can give to a performer who is playing a, a character that already existed. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at pictures of him. Just he's not even dressed like Kingpin, but there's something in his eyes where I'm like, yeah, that's the Kingpin. And I'm so excited to watch that again. And as much as it pains he, me to say taking a year off was the best thing possible because it made me miss him. He he brings such depth to it. Like he, he's got the he's got the layers. He's the ogre onion. They have layers. <laughs> um you know, because in those scene, in, in some of those scenes, you you can just look in his eyes and see that he is a fractured human. And then you watch him interact in other portions of the series and you see that he is as deeply sinister as it gets. And then you can see the whole time he's on screen that behind those eyes, he's got that lived in life that just says, I'm, I'm dealing with this duality of wanting to feel real human things but also really having a thirst for the power and influence and the dirty work that you do. And it's really difficult to play that balance in a way that's humanistic and not overly campy or archetypical. And I feel like he fits the middle of that Venn diagram of being able to do that perfectly. Yeah, it's so good. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's like Heath Ledger Joker levels of good comic book performances it's it's up there for me and I, I just can't say enough good about it it's so good like and I I, I think I'd seen D'Onofrio be in a few things prior to this but but I mean he's he's forever on my list now of like anything he wants to do I'll probably go check it out just because of his involvement he I'm just so blown away by the performance and I'm super excited to see what they do with the action sequences the the, the camera work and the lighting and the angles that they use for capturing uh, some of the some of the fight sequences that Murdoch does is pretty incredible. I keep coming back to that first moment in one of the early episodes of season one where there's that bit where he basically just beats the tar out of like half a dozen guys in a really yeah. narrow hallway just with his feet, essentially. And it's all done in one take. And yeah. the angle is such where the camera doesn't really move, but you still see everything. And I just remember watching that for the first time and my jaw dropped and was like, I didn't realize that this was possible for mainstream <laughs> TV. And I, and I can't get enough of it. Cause it was just, and that, that's what I love as somebody who loves art house cinema, as much as I love comic book lore, which is just an interesting paradigm to, to live in, in my head. But it's like I get a little bit of both when I watch Daredevil because it's like, okay, we're going to get inventive cinematography. We're going to get really art house and symbolic in the way we're going to do our camera angles. But you're also going to do it when you see a blind man beat the tar out of some goons. And it just it scratches both of my itches at the same time. And But it also is a glaring difference between daredevil and the rest of the field like there are lots of reasons why daredevil why daredevil is better than the rest of the singular defenders installments but if you want one big reason why a big reason why is because of the way the thing is shot and the way they frame it all 
that that hallway scene is for me the standard that all action films and shows and everything is is forever going to try to live up to and it's like there have been days where i've seriously like i didn't yeah i don't really feel like watching a whole thing oh i'm gonna go back to the hallway scene and i'll just watch that it's just so awesome i i mean and the thing that's mind-blowing to me about that is obviously like i'm not a huge violence person like i mean i'll watch violent movies like sylvester stallone i own most of his his filmography i get that but it's not like i'm only watching crazy action movies and that's the only thing i consume like it's it's got a time and a place for me and i i revisit it every once in a while but I just I have to rack my brain to try to think of how many other times in my life with as much as I love movies have I seen sequences that were completely contingent around violent action of like people fighting with other people that I want to go back and revisit not just for the sheer entertainment value but just because of the whole dynamics and the mechanics of how it all came together and the visuals of it like that that is a unicorn of a moment you know that just doesn't happen very often like the chase sequence and the french connection is another one and that's kind of one that you hang your hat on because it's just a master class in editing and up until that point nothing like that had really been done before but it's that same kind of a thing and daredevil's able to do that and do that in the playground of having the rich deep storyline that daredevil's you know had for decades of comic runs yeah it's oh. I'm excited. I'm excited for this one, and I hope, I hope that we get to join the the multitude of people that are singing the praises of this season. We're about to find out. We are going to dive in. So, if you have not yet dived in, listener, to season three of Daredevil, do it, do it now, and watch along with us. We're going to do the first six episodes next week. And if you have watched it already, hit us up on Twitter with your takes. We want to hear about it. Non spoilers, of course, because. Don't be that guy or that girl. <laughs> so um, anyway, we're going to come at you with Daredevil Season 3 next week. Super stoked about that. Check us out on watchingcomics.com and uh, also subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. Hit us up with your takes because that's what Twitter is for, especially mm-hmm. comic book Twitter. We are at Watch Comics Pod. That is comics with an X. So we are at Watch Comics Pod. And as always, we want to give a big and generous thank you to the Geek Dad Podcast Network for letting us call their place home. And it's a lovely, lovely family of which we have loved being a part of. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.